Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 109, and I'm drinking Gordon's London Dry Gin. With each episode of Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, you should expect that'll be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. I'm featuring Gordon's Gin on this episode because I've been meaning to get to more gin, and because Gordon's is the top-selling gin in the world, I perhaps should have started here. Also, coincidentally, as of this recording, it's been less than a month since Queen Elizabeth II died, and maybe that got me thinking of Gordon's. No matter, there's no time like the present. The bottle I have for the tasting is Gordon's London Dry Gin. It is 750 milliliters, 40% ABV, that's 80 proof, and it retails at $12 US. Regarding the bottle, if perhaps this is the first episode of the show you've listened to or otherwise don't remember, I'm based in the state of Oregon, USA. That's important for Gordon's Gin because for my UK listeners, I have what's referred to by the brand as the export bottle. Gordon's for me is in clear glass, but for those in the brand's domestic market, it comes in green glass. Packaging is very different, and this is the first brand I've thus far encountered, and only one I can think of, that has dramatically different trade dress between domestic and export. I'll cover the reason why as I get into the history, but for now, I'll simply describe my U.S. export bottle. As I said, it's clear glass in a bespoke mold. Generally rectangular with a flat front and slightly rounded back, the sides feature Gordon's, sans apostrophe, in capital letters vertically, which provide a bit of grip for pouring. Similar text is molded in the back, though horizontally oriented. On the bottom of the bottle, there's a somewhat crude rendition of the boar's head that also appears on the label. A gently sloping shoulder goes up to a short neck, and a plain golden plastic screw cap tops this bottle. The front label is yellow, brick red, bright orange, and silver color. To be honest, I had to read the label a few times to ensure I wasn't buying a citrus-flavored gin. It gives the vibe of being orange-flavored gin, but indeed is the simply the plain London Dry. This is driven home by the text, the original Gordon's London Dry Gin, as the main horizontal portion of a T-shaped label. The vertical part of the label includes at the top, the royal warrant of the late queen. I'm not sure if Gordon's will now have to remove this, but as I mentioned, the queen very recently passed. Below the horizontal label is the text, 100% grain neutral spirits, then imported and bottled by the distiller's company, New York, New York. Proof information, then product of Canada. The signature of the brand's founder, Alexander Gordon, is above a stylistic boar's head. And the final bit of text is established 1769. With no back label, Gordon's has managed to tuck the required government warning, barcode, admonishment to please recycle, and the world's number one international gin, the original, all on a short yellow neck label. Okay, let's go ahead and open this up and do a tasting. As with all spirits on Liquor in the Core Connoisseur, I'm using a clean Glencairn glass for the tasting, and I'm tasting the spirit Neat, which is room temperature right out of the bottle. Let's open the bottle up. 
plastic screw cap. And now for a pour. In the glass, it is clear as water. Uh, it does show some legs on the glass as you swirl it. That just lets you know there's alcohol in it. On the nose. Ooh, it's very piney. Um, that's the juniper coming through, but I, I don't pick it up as juniper. I get it as a, a pine tree scent. It's also some citrus in it. Smells clean and refreshing. All right, let's try it on the palate. It's gin. Taste of gin. Let's try another taste. Very juniper forward with citrus. It doesn't last on the palate much. It's got a short finish. It is dry. It doesn't come off as sweet. To me, it's fairly simple. Juniper, citrus, a little bit of uh, peppery spice, perhaps. That's likely just the alcohol, but clean, nice. Pretty easy drinking, I'd say. Now on to the history. Gordon's Gin was established by Alexander Gordon in 1769 in London, England. The English had a tremendous taste for gin, they still do, but in the 1700s, it was a full-on gin craze. For more on how gin came to England and their early love for the spirit, I'll refer you back to episode 44 on Bombay Sapphire. Suffice it to say here that gin had become a real problem. Cheap, low-quality, and sometimes downright dangerous gins had reached a level of pervasive overconsumption that by the mid-1700s, it was often referred to as Mother's Ruin. In 1751, the artist William Hogarth created the famous artwork Gin Lane, a propaganda piece showing the societal ills of unchecked gin consumption. Gordon's came about just 18 years after this, in 1769, and an archivist for Diageo, Gordon's current owner, was quoted as saying, Alexander Gordon really was one of the first gin distillers to set up a reputable gin company in London. Alexander Gordon was of Scottish descent, but settled on the Southwark district of London for his distillery because of the famously high quality water. He had a reputation for selecting only the finest quality botanicals to flavor his gin, and the care he took in crafting his namesake gin helped establish the brand. Gordon's is credited with helping to raise the quality of all gin, kicking off what would eventually become a gin revolution. However, it should be noted that the original gin Gordon's was producing wouldn't have been exactly what we get in bottles today, even though the company claims to use the same recipe. This is primarily due to the differences in distillation technology available to Alexander Gordon in the latter half of the 18th century. The first Gordon's would have been a sweetened Old Tom-style gin because continuous distillation, thanks to the coffee or column still, wasn't invented until 1830. But even using their pot still that they'd named Old Tom, not to be confused with the style, but it's still confusing, Gordon's was able to produce a superior quality gin compared to most of their contemporaries. In 1786, the Gordon's distillery moved a few miles from the original site to Clerkenwell for the better quality water there. 
Alexander Gordon, ever the stickler for quality, had his son Charles Gordon trained for seven years as an apprentice before taking over in 1823, this being two years after his father Alexander's death in 1821. Admittedly, though, these dates don't add up for me, but my reference for this is Diageo themselves, and I'll provide a link in show notes. What can be said is Alexander's way of making his gin, his philosophy for quality gin, survives to this day. The early popularity of the product was helped along the way by the British Navy taking a liking to the brand in stocking it on voyages around the world. The Gordon family maintained ownership of the brand until either 1877 or 1889, depending upon the source, but in either case, the Gordons sold to John Curie and Company, who had a rectifying business producing for several distillers. In 1898, Gordon's was merged with Charles Tangeray and Company to form Tangeray Gordon and Company. This merger created the largest gin house in the world at the time, and because Tangeray was strongest as an export brand and Gordon served the domestic market, the two brands maintained their individual identities. And for the full story on Tangeray, listen to episode 95. 1904 is when the green bottle for Gordon's was introduced, and in the UK market, Gordon's is still sold in green glass. But not long after they started bottling in the green glass, did the brand receive its first big export order to go all the way to Australia. To mark the occasion, the brand designed a new export label, but it didn't look good on a green bottle. So, rather than redesigning the label, they changed to clear glass, and the export bottle was born. Now, as a marketer by trade, this to me seems like an objectively stupid idea all around. If the Australians were wanting Gordons, they probably wanted what they were familiar with. So imagine their surprise when a shipment that would have actually traveled by ship arrived and it looks nothing like you expect. It seems nobody at Gordons had any sense of branding or they just weren't there yet. Whatever the rationale, Gordons has stuck to their choice and more than a century later, they still have two distinct bottlings. Literally, the logo is different. What is consistent between domestic and export is the boar's head on the bottle. This medieval-styled rendition of the head of a boar harkens back to a legend the brand perpetuates that a member of the Gordon clan saved the King of Scotland from a wild boar when hunting. And thus, the Gordon family adopted the boar's head on their coat of arms and put it on the gin. A few other notable points in the brand's history. Gordon's was early to create what we now refer to as ready-to-drink or RTD cocktails, when in 1924, they introduced the Gordon's Cocktail Shaker, which has a stunning resemblance to the current Tangeray gin bottle, though predates it by decades. Gordon's also published a lot of recipe booklets and sought to teach consumers how to enjoy gin and capture the new spirit of cocktail parties. Following the repeal of Prohibition in the U.S. in 1933, Gordon's opened a distillery in New Jersey, USA, to serve the American market, sticking with clear glass. 1962 is when Gordon's really reigned supreme. This is the year when Gordon's became the world's best-selling gin. The claim on the bottle today that they're the world's number one international gin is an acknowledgement that Gordon's may not actually sell the most gin of any brand. That honor may go to Ginbra San Miguel, 
the Philippines-based brand that is sold almost exclusively in the Philippines. However, Jimbra San Miguel doesn't always disclose sales data, so setting them aside, Gordon's is the top-selling gin brand worldwide. They had 2021 case sales of 7.4 million 9-liter equivalent cases. In 1998, production for the domestic UK market, along with most of Europe, moved to Fife in Scotland, where it remains. Gordon's hasn't been produced in New Jersey, USA in a long time. After a series of corporate mergers and acquisitions that saw the formation of Diageo, the production was moved to Canada, as Diageo has other production facilities there. In recent years, Gordon's has gone through a few packaging updates, mostly since the turn of the new century, to help counter the threat to market share that the explosion of new gins has brought. But even with the updates to bottles and labels, the brand still maintains green glass for their domestic market and clear glass for everyone else. And beyond the London Dry Gin, the brand has expanded into flavored gins. Though this isn't particularly new, they first started bottling an orange gin in 1929. What is new beyond the more exotic flavors like tropical passion fruit is the introduction of a 0% alcohol-free pink gin. The no-proof spirits category has really grown in the past few years, and Gordon's is looking to play in this space as well. So that's the history, now let's move on to how it's made. Only 11 people in the world know the Gordon's recipe, so claims the brand's owner, Diageo. I'd believe it though. Gordon's is referred to as the giniest of gins, and even used that as a tagline for some time. What this means is that it has a high juniper content. My bottle clearly states on the label that it is 100% grain neutral spirits, so that means the base alcohol is distilled from grain, in this case almost guaranteed to be wheat, and done in a modern column or continuous still in order to achieve nearly pure ethanol. To this, the secret blend of botanicals will be redistilled to form an infusion. Edna Gordon's botanicals are redistilled rather than macerated or soaked in the alcohol. It's reported that botanicals include juniper, coriander seeds, orange peel, lemon peel, angelica root, orris root, licorice, ginger, nutmeg, and cassia oil. The process is very much at scale, with production both in Scotland and Canada. Also, because Gordon's is sold throughout the world, there are a variety of bottling strengths it is sold at, many of these relating to either tradition or taxation. For example, here in the USA, 40% ABV is typical of most white spirits, and thus that's the strength gin for Gordon's is sold at. However, in the UK, Diageo lowered the proof to 37.5% in the 1990s to reduce the duty they paid on it. But some Gordons is sold in other markets, including travel retail, that may be as strong as 47.3% ABV. Regardless of bottling strength, it's all made in the same manner. And now, on to cocktails and consumption. To toast the late monarch, give Gordons a go in her favorite cocktail, the Dubonnet cocktail. This is basically a twist on a classic gin martini, where the vermouth is replaced with the French aperitif wine, Dubonnet. Most recipes I found call for a 1 to 2 ratio of Gordon's to Dubonnet, shaken and served with a lemon twist. So in summary, what do I think of Gordon's gin? I'll tell you from a marketing standpoint, it is amazing they have distinct looks 
for their domestic market and their export markets. I've never seen a green bottle of Gordon's, but when you look them up online, it's so different looking than the export bottle I get now. It looks like a completely different brand, but the liquid product is exactly the same. It just is the trade dress or the the packaging. That's really amazing to me. Beyond that, it's a really well-priced gin at $12 US for a fifth. That's a downright deal here for me in the US. And it's a quality product. Yeah, they're producing it in high volume. Obviously, it's the world's number one international gin, but it is well-made and you do get a nice classic London dry gin flavor out of it. I'd argue there's no reason not to have a bottle of Gordon's on your bar. It's not going to offend anybody. So that's going to do it for this episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. Please subscribe and share. Show notes are on liquorintheCoreConnoisseur.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcast platform. I'm also active on social media. Look for me on Facebook and Instagram, most likely. I love hearing from my listeners, so if there's a spirit you'd like me to feature in an upcoming episode, please do reach out. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>